morning, River Ridge Church. Welcome into this place today. Man, can I tell you how grateful I am every single week? Like, I, I, I think I forget that, but then I go back there and I worship alongside of you and I get the opportunity to chat together with so many of you every Sunday morning. And I, I sometimes think I never want to take that for granted. I really never want to take that for granted. I think about that wasn't always the case throughout history. There, the, people could not come together necessarily and worship together. Even other parts of the world right now, that's not always the case in those places. And so I've really wanted to get into this habit of being able to never not recognize what a gift it is to be able to come together and be in this place and worship alongside of you. So I am glad that we get to do that very much so. If you are one of our guests here with us this morning, my name is Blair, I am one of the pastors here, and we just wanna welcome you into this place. It is our hope in this place that people from all different way, spots in their spiritual journey come and visit us and check out what, we, what we're talking about here. Not so you necessarily adopt the way in which we worship, but that, they, that you would know and that everyone would know who the truly is the God that we do worship. The God who said, let there be and there was. The God that made us and invited us into a connection with him. The God that in the Bible is described as holy and perfect. The God that is described as loving and true and graceful and everlasting and all-knowing and all-powerful and at the same time, a very personal God. A God that is spoke to his creation and said, you can call me Yahweh. That's my name, you can call me Yahweh. A God who spoke to Abraham and said, here's what I'm gonna do to you. Here's what I'm gonna do for you. Here's what I'm gonna do through you. I'm gonna turn you into a great nation. I'm gonna give you a land that you can call your own. And then so that you can be a blessing to the world that is around you, so that you can point people back to me, so that you can be a blessing to the world by pointing them to the God that loves them, that wants to be in a relationship that is connected with them, so that they aren't in the dark anymore. The God that despite a people over generation after generation who continued to turn their back on him, continued to pursue after them and forgive them over and over again. That's the God that we want you to see about in here because that is God. If you are new to this place, 2023 has been kind of a different year for us as a church as we come in here on Sunday mornings and maybe even overall. See, we've decided to take this year and call it our relevant year or go through a relevant series. It's a series that we have done from the beginning of the year that we're gonna go all the way through the end of the year where we're walking through the Bible from the beginning to the end so that we can see how God shows his story throughout all of history. We are at week 25, and so we wanted to give equal time to both the Old Testament and the New Testament, so this is the very last message on the Old Testament for our series. And I don't know if we're cheering about that, finally we're out of the Old Testament, or if we're like a little bit sad because it, we really love the parts that we're getting here about it. Um, but next week we will start switching over to the New Testament. Um, all of it, all of God's word, all of God's word is neat because it is showing us how God's story plays out through history, how it has been a movement throughout history. This morning, we're gonna be looking at God's story through the life of Nehemiah, both in the book and the person of Nehemiah. 
chronologically speaking, Nehemiah really comes at the end of the Old Testament. It's pretty much at the end of time. And I know that kind of looks weird because there's like 20, 23 books after Nehemiah's books. But as Andy told us last week, the Bible is not necessarily set chronologically. It's more set in groups of books, types of books, types of literature are kind of the way it's separated. And so Nehemiah is pretty much the end chronologically of the Old Testament. Andy also told us last week that Ezra and Nehemiah were kind of put together as one book and then we kind of later separated them out. In fact, uh, it's believed that the same person wrote both books, Ezra himself, or actually maybe more compiled those books together. It's also thought to be that Ezra is the one who wrote First and Second Chronicles. Most believe that he's the one who wrote both of those as well. But this morning, we're going to be looking at Nehemiah, and Nehemiah chronicles the life. Oh, you see what I did there? <laughs> That's not as funny as I thought it was. Yeah. Uh, no, Nehemiah chronicles the life of Nehemiah. Ezra is found in the book. We'll see him in there, but it's mostly about Nehemiah's story. If you've been following along with us in the reading plan that we've been in over the last couple of months, you read Nehemiah last week, and so you're very familiar with this story. In fact, if you want your excuse from this message with full credit, if you want to head on out, that's up to you. I didn't see anybody get up. That was a scary time to get up, I guess, probably. But if you're going to stick around, I think it can be helpful as well as we continue to go through the book of Nehemiah together here uh, as a church. Let me give you an idea of how we're going to do this message this morning. First, what I want to do is actually just give you kind of a brief summary of the whole book of Nehemiah. It's going to be a quick just overview about the book of Nehemiah. And then I want to stop in and, and pick out a couple of passages throughout the first couple of chapters of Nehemiah that we'll look a little more intently at. And then hopefully I can give you some commentary along the way that will be helpful as we study the book of Nehemiah. But before we do that, let me pray for our time this morning. God, I thank you for an opportunity to open your word. God, I believe that your word is the greatest gift we have been given, maybe apart from the gospel itself that transformed and changed our lives, the grace that has been given to us. And so God, I pray that we would be good stewards of your word this morning. I pray that I would be a good steward of your word this morning and that we would be good stewards of your word as we try to learn about who you are and what your story is. God, I pray that over us as a church, as we open your word today, God, I pray that it would come to life, uh, to life to us and that it would bring life to us as it does. God, I trust your words when you say your word will never go out void and it will do exactly what it is called to do. And so God, as we open your word today, I pray that it would do that, that it would penetrate our hearts in a unique way uh, this morning. We love you, God. Amen. So the book of Nehemiah is the story that follows both the man and the book by the same name. It's about a man who feels compelled to rebuild the city walls of his own capital city, his own home city, the Jewish capital uh, city of Jerusalem. Inside the story, we find great examples of lots of different things. We find great examples of leadership skills, how to delegate how to stay on task when the obstacles start coming up, how to handle pressures of people who are both inside your team and even outside of your team. It's a, Nehemiah is this great story that he is credited with leading this incredible building campaign, this building of this massive wall around the city of Jerusalem that actually happens within 52 days that they get this thing built. 
And we see what happens when everyone does their part and gets on the building and makes it happen. It's an amazing story of seeing a problem, strategizing a solution about how to fix that problem and then accomplishing it despite difficult circumstances that keep coming up, pressures along the way that keep coming up. Now, that is a very simplistic way of talking about the book of Nehemiah, but that gets us going in where we want to as the story unfolds for us. But I wanna try to pull out some different things that we can see from Nehemiah this morning. And if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn them to Nehemiah 1. We're gonna be in the very first verse of Nehemiah. Uh, I think I have the New Living Translation up here on the screen, which don't tell my wife, because I don't usually use this one, but she swears by it. And so, but it just reads really, really awesome for us as we look at this story. So let's look at this together. Nehemiah 1, 1 and 2. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In late autumn, in the month of Kidlev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came to visit with some of the other men who had just returned or just arrived from Judah. And I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from the captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. Nehemiah gets a really, really special treat here. Some of these men who had just come back, they had just come back from Judah, they had just seen what was going on in Jerusalem, had just started visiting Susa. This is really significant because Susa is a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. So Nehemiah is excited to hear what's been going on. As Andy told us last week, they started rebuilding the temple, right? And he's interested, what's been going on? What's happening with the rebuilding project in, 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 in Jerusalem? What's happening in our city? What's going on with our people there? Tell me everything about what's been going on. And so they do. Nehemiah 3, they said to me, things aren't going well for those who return from the providence of Judah. They're in great trouble, it's a disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down. The gates have been destroyed. When I heard this, I sat down and I just wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever had one of these moments? Have you ever been so excited about something and then it turned out to actually be the opposite? It turned out to be really bad instead. Have you ever looked forward to something so much and you were thinking, oh man, this is gonna be great. And then when it happens, it's actually the opposite of it. Not just that it doesn't live up to your thoughts, but it turns out to be bad even. I feel like Carol and I have gone through this different times that start with some vacations kind of thing, or maybe just a vacation, a plan that we have, you know, a family trip. I can think about one of our family trips in the past where we were looking forward to this vacation so much. It's gonna be awesome. We're, we're talking about how this trip is gonna be this incredible bonding thing for our family, that we're gonna have all this great time together, that our kids are gonna love each other so well, that at the end of it, they're gonna be best friends. They're gonna be helping each other get onto rides at the amusement park. They're gonna be doing what the other person and wants. We're so happy about the ability to give them this kind of trip and this incredible getaway that we get to go on. It's going to be all about bonding for us as a family. And I think some of you know where I'm going with this because you've been there, right? Now we can look back and laugh at it and think about that ourselves and we can laugh at ourselves. But when you're in the moment, it's not funny. Because when you're picturing rainbows and hugs and selfless people, but instead you get fighting and name calling and selfishness, you're a little traumatized by it in the moment, to be honest. 
Like, what is going on? Not only are they not gonna be best friends, I'm not even sure we're getting along as we normally do. They're being little selfish humans. What's going on here? And they're not caring about each other. And me, as a dad, I'm getting angry about this because I'm thinking like, wait a minute, we're driving this far to come here, we're paying this amount of money to get here, and nobody's doing what they're supposed to be doing kind of thing. And so I'm getting upset about it, getting angry, which really doesn't go too well because usually when I start getting angry, the kids are kind of confused, like, what are you getting so mad about? <laughs> like, it's almost, and then it becomes a little even more of an ordeal where I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you not even know what's going on here kind of thing? And the, the obliviousness to it sometimes gets me off. And then Carol's getting upset about the whole thing and it's causing her to be tore up because we had this expectation. Now, the great thing is usually a simple trip to Dairy Queen to get a blizzard will fix this for us as a family. And we've never gone more than like an afternoon where that was the case, where all of our trips have been really awesome. But when you're in that moment, when you have that idea that it's going to be this and it turns out to be this, it hits you really hard. When you go really high to really low, really fast, it knocks the wind out of you. And I think that's what Nehemiah felt here. I think he was really excited to hear what was going on back in Jerusalem. He's asking his friends, so what's going on? I know the temple got rebuilt. I know, what, are people flocking back to Jerusalem? Are they coming back? Is Jerusalem becoming the nation that God designed it to be all over again? Are we seeing that we are a blessing to the world around us? And I think the news hit Nehemiah hard. They're like, Nehemiah, no. No, that's actually not what's going on. In fact, the people are in great trouble. It's a shame. Our walls are destroyed. They aren't safe. They don't have the protection of the wall. They're an unwalled city. We aren't a blessing to the world around us. In fact, we're probably more like a disgrace. See, in this period of time, you couldn't be a great nation and not have a walled capital city. It just didn't happen. A walled city is where stable economy would happen, where trade could happen, where people could go and be in a safe place. It's where uh, law, like law would be practiced in a good way. It's where safety would come as a person who's fleeing from other people would go behind the walled city. It would be a safe place for them. It would be a place for them to be able to go, to be able to uh, have proper justice and it was inside of that walled city where this could happen. And you really aren't much of a nation at all if you don't have a walled city. So when Nehemiah heard the news, it broke his heart. And here's a bottom line that I think we need to get. God can do things with a broken heart. God can do big, massive, God-sized things with a broken heart. Nehemiah's heart was broken. And when it broke his heart, he did the thing that most of us do at first when something breaks our heart. He fell down and he just cried. The Bible actually says that he cried for days. You ever let yourself sit in emotions like that for very long? You see or you hear a problem somewhere in the world and you start thinking about it and you think about the devastation and you just can't shake it. Are you able to identify maybe the last time that something stirred your heart in such a way that you were just broken as a result of it? Throughout time, people's hearts have been broken for lots of different things, whether it's a natural disaster, some other part of the world. We've seen the 
things, massive things happen like hurricanes or earthquakes, maybe even the place that we've called, that we've loved in the past, like Haiti, things that have happened there. And it just breaks our heart and it sends people who wanna go and be a part of that. Or maybe it was like the invasion of Ukraine. It kind of broke your heart to think about the trouble that's going on in these other parts of the world where people are fleeing from their homes and they don't have a home and they just have to move away. Maybe it's for uh, child, child uh, you know, hunger, things that are going on where kids, even in our own country, don't have the food that they need. Maybe it's literacy or education and it just breaks your heart to think about what that means. These things that can actually take us and we look at them and they just break our heart when we think about them. Do you ever sit back and just think and about what actually does break your heart? Because what led to the successful story of Nehemiah was a broken heart. And I think that's a key point for us. If you're taking notes, you can jot this one down. My broken heart is trying to tell me something. My broken heart is trying to tell me something. There's a lot going on around the world that has the potential to break our hearts. But for a lot of us, I would say, and this is actually true of me, so I can speak at least for myself, is that we don't let it a lot of times. We don't give it the heart space, actually. Unless it happens in my immediate circle of people in my life, the truth is, is that probably I don't give it the opportunity to break my heart most of the time. I'm a very present-minded person. What's in front of me is what I'm thinking about. And so if I see this on the news, it, it, it stirs me a little bit. But as soon as it's pulled out of in front of me, I've kind of lost track of it. And it's not on my mind anymore, and I don't think about it. But sometimes, something will happen in my life that interrupts everything. And this is what happened for Nehemiah. This is what's going on in his life. This news wasn't something he could just shake off. He sat down and he just cried and he could not stop it. He could not stop crying. It was just something that a blizzard could not fix in his life because he couldn't stop thinking about it. So Nehemiah does what Nehemiah usually does if you follow the life of Nehemiah and he began praying right there in the middle of this situation. In fact, it says in verse six, it says that he prayed this for the people of Israel day and night, day and night, day and night. And in this prayer, that he prays that you can see in chapter one, he acknowledges who God is, how God has shown his faithfulness to the people over and over again. He actually confesses his own sins, recognizing that he has sin in his life and he confesses the sins of Israel. He even agrees with God that they deserve all that's happened to them in these moments. And at the same time, he starts reminding God about some of what God has done. He starts reminding God that we are your people, God. We represent you. And he tells God some of the things, some of the promises that God made that even if you turn from me, even if you go your own way, even if you leave me, if you turn back to me, I will forgive you. I will heal you. Then he ends his prayer with, with what looks like a request to God that looking back on now might be a clue that he thought, Nehemiah thought, he might have a part to play in the solution. Look at this in verse 11. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please, please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me today. And I'm not exactly sure how many times Nehemiah prays this prayer, 
But the next verse in chapter two actually says four months later. Well, it doesn't really say four months later. What it actually says is it's a date. And so in the beginning of chapter one, there's a date. In the beginning of chapter two, there's a date. Both list dates. In fact, both of, uh, most of Nehemiah is actually more kind of written in the style of diary. You can kind of see how Nehemiah is going and he's kind of coming back telling you about his life. He dates the events. And if you're a history person, you can actually go back and cross-reference this stuff with historical Persian documents if you want to. It's really cool stuff. Anyways, the reason we know, though, about Nehemiah is because he didn't only sit down and cry, but that he did play a part. When God breaks your heart, it means something. If you want to follow Nehemiah's example, though, you start looking for an opportunity to do something about it. And so that's point number two. My broken heart leads me to boldly step. we look at Nehemiah's story here, we start to see an interaction that he has in chapter two, starting in verse one. It says, early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reigns, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled in the heart. Then I was terrified, but I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it pleases the king, and if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king with the queen sitting beside of him asked, well, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. Cupbearer, which is the title that Nehemiah gives himself, if you look at the end of chapter one, he says, and in those days I was a cupbearer, is an interesting position because it's really just a servant position, but it comes with a significant amount of trust. If you're not familiar with the cupbearer, the cupbearer had the responsibility primarily to make sure that the king never got poisoned. And so sometimes the cupbearer would taste it. Sometimes he would make sure he is always the one who pours the wine to make sure that the king is safe. And because of this role that he has, he's most likely all the time around the kingdom. So most likely standing in the peripheries and the king will just continue to take care of kingdom business, usually right in front of the cupbearer. So the cupbearer probably hears a lot of things that are going around in the kingdom. And so he would know a lot of things. And so he would be a person who would be learned to be relied on heavily by the king in a lot of ways and that he had a lot of trust. But as well, the cupbearer is actually just a servant. And the cupbearer doesn't have his own power or doesn't have the ability to do anything of his own accord. And in fact, as we see here, he's really not even supposed to be seen very much. So when the king asked Nehemiah, why he looks so sad in his presence, that's why Nehemiah gets so scared all of a sudden. Oh my goodness, the king sees me. So he does the smart thing that anybody would do and starts flattering the king. Long live the king forever. You are an awesome king. None of this sadness has to do with you, king. I'm so sorry for showing this sadness in front of you. I'm sorry I'm not hiding it very well today, but for some reason it was coming out. But how can I not be sad, king? 
How can I not be sad? My home is destroyed. The place where I grew up, the place of my people is ruined. My family is ruined. Even our buried are being disgraced and they are ruined. And I think here the king's response really takes Nehemiah by surprise. And he says, well, how can I help you? What? Help me? King, you want to help me? So again, Nehemiah does what Nehemiah does and he takes a quick pause. And Nehemiah does what Nehemiah does in that he stops and he prays. And he says a quick prayer to God. In my mind, the prayer is something around this idea. This is it, isn't it, God? This is the moment. I've been asking you for four months over the last four months to let me find favor in the sight of the king and I'm there right now, aren't I? This, this is that moment that you have set up. This is kind of an interesting point, I think. We didn't get to actually do a message on this, but about 30 years ago, pretty much in this exact same place, in the town of Susa, Queen Esther was put in a similar position. And her uncle said this to her in that moment. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I think Nehemiah might know that story of Esther that Esther was put in a place where she has to speak to the king, but you don't speak to the king. And Mordecai told her, he said, hey, how do you know that God didn't put you in this place in this exact moment for such a time as this? And Nehemiah starts praying to God, maybe I have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I could be anywhere in the world, at any place in the world, at any time in the world, but right here is where you've placed me for this moment, maybe for such an opportunity as this. So then he went for it. He goes for it. If it pleases you, king, I wanna go to my homeland and I wanna rebuild my city walls. This is big stuff. I know we don't really understand what it means for a servant to speak to a Persian king for something, but we see Nehemiah is scared about the idea that he was just sad in the presence of the king. How scary is it when he says to the king, basically, I don't wanna be here anymore. I don't really wanna serve you right now. I wanna go somewhere else. I mean, for sure he is afraid of his position that he's gonna lose his position. Most likely he's afraid for his freedom, probably he's afraid for his own life, but he went for it. And the king said, well, I guess that would be okay. How long you wanna go for? Nehemiah's like, OMG! He said yes, woo! Play it cool, Nehemiah, play it cool, calm down. But he has to be freaking out inside because this is crazy. Kings don't care about servants at all. They don't do this kind of thing. I believe Nehemiah started trusting God though for control right here. I think Nehemiah started recognizing that God was in control of what was going on. And emboldened by this, yes, Nehemiah keeps going and he keeps start asking for other stuff. He says, hey, uh, king, a um, couple other things. Would you be willing to give me one of those official imperial letters that says I can go anywhere and nobody can harm me? Yes, awesome. Well, a king, would you mind giving me one of those letters that actually says that I can go into your forest and take the wood and build the wall for? Awesome. Nehemiah knows God is moving. Nehemiah is aware that God is moving in this moment right now. And so he just keeps on moving. Now, Nehemiah goes with letters in hand to Jerusalem. And when he gets there, he starts surveying 
the damage and he sees the extent of the damage and recognizes, wow, this is big. This is, this is massive of what's going on here. He's, he, he came, he did it. And when he gets there, he realizes, I can't do this. I, I don't have the ability to do this. And so in chapter two, we see him talk to the people and he gathers up all the people in the area and he says, but now I said to them, you know very well the trouble we are in. Jerusalem, it lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. And then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and how God, or about my conversation with the king and they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. Nehemiah gathers up with the people and he says, look around, I don't have to explain to you what's going on here. I don't have to convince you of the trouble we're in. And then he gives his testimony of what God has been doing, has he been moving in his life and how he had been moving in the king's life. This is like the Jewish version of Captain America's Avengers Assemble. And they do. Because chapter three is this massive story of a delegation plan. It is this incredible story of it. It's a really difficult read. It's one of those reads you really don't wanna be the third grader who's picked to read this out loud because you have gotta start pronouncing words like Yeshana and Melatiaya and Maranathiate. Really quickly, if I'm in this position, I would do the thing where I start pronouncing, I stop pronouncing them and I'm like, the Y guy did this and the M guy did that, right? But the most important phrase in chapter three has nothing to do with an individual name. In fact, it's kind of the opposite of that. The phrase that I think that's the most important to that is next to him or after him. It's used like 30 times in chapter three. Nehemiah was ready to build the wall, but this is all hands on deck kind of stuff. When God breaks your heart for something and you step out and you follow him, you don't have to do it alone. I think I can go out on a limb and say, in most cases, you're not supposed to do it alone. There are those moments when no one else follows you, God, while I will still continue to follow you, God, moments. But most of the time when something big gets done, it's never one person who does it. When someone starts going after something big, something God-sized, then it's a movement of people. And so that's point three. My broken heart shouldn't go it alone. Chapter three is like a massive example of delegation. This person takes this part of the wall and then there beside of them was a person who took this part of the wall and after them was this group of people who took this part of the wall and beside of them is this person who takes this part of the wall and after them, this person says, that's my part of the wall. Let me tell you this, it's what happens here every Sunday morning. This group of people are in the nursery and next to them is this group of people in the preschool and next to them is this people in Ridge Kids and after them are these people who are greeting at the doors and next to them are these people who are making coffee and donuts and bringing it and serving it and next to them are the people who are up on stage teaching and next to them are the people in the sound booth and next to them are people who are leading small groups in student ministry and next to them and next to them and next to them. See, when River Ridge Church was planted, it was an all hands on deck kind of moment with the 25 or 30 people that called River Ridge home because God was breaking their hearts for the people of this area to hear the good news and the power of the gospel. God was breaking their hearts for something God-sized. 
And over the last decade, he has continued to break the hearts of people that call River Ridge home to continue to get after this God-sized task of building not up a wall, but of the church. We are like Nehemiah in that the fact that we are like the Jewish nation in that we are God's people, adopted into the family of God through the power of the gospel. But when we read Nehemiah, we read Nehemiah on the other side of the cross. So we're no longer called to the exact same task of building up just a wall. We are called to building up the church. The relevant series has been designed for us to see God's story play out throughout all of history. In Nehemiah's time, God's story was being told through a nation state, the covenant nation of Israel. They were his representatives in the world. Their lives were pointing the rest of the world to the God that they belonged to. They were going to be a nation. They were gonna be given a land to call their own and then they were gonna be a blessing to the world around them. We as believers in Christ are called to the same, but when Jesus came, he brought with him a new kingdom the kingdom of heaven. Now there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. We get to be a blessing to the world around us. If you are a believer in Christ, you are his representative wherever you go. Wherever you go, you walk around with the light of the world inside of you. You bring the blessing of the gospel wherever you go. And when you come here on Sunday morning, you bring the blessing of the gospel with you here as well. You bring the good news of God's transforming power that has transformed your life. And hundreds of people come here every Sunday morning and they get on their part of the wall. And as a result, God is building up his church. In a couple of weeks on Baptism Sunday on July 16, we're gonna get a reminder of what happens when every person gets on their part of the wall. And I'll tell you right now, one of the reasons why we get so excited and so emotional about Baptism Sunday is because we get to see God use this movement of people to build up his church. We're reminded of how God allows us to be a blessing to the world when a person gets baptized and they declare, I am a child of the king. And we're gonna see kids get baptized. We're gonna see students get baptized. We're gonna see adults get baptized. Everyone from all different parts of our church, different parts of the wall that are being built up because someone took their spot on the wall. Almost 40 years ago now, my uncle took his spot on the wall and as a result of it, I got to hear the gospel clearly for the first time. It is my greatest joy in my life that I get to be on the wall with so many of you every day. You, to share with you the joy and the responsibility of building up not a wall for salvation, but the church who points to the one that brings ultimate salvation. If you are on the wall, man, I am so grateful to be on the wall alongside of you. If you haven't got on the wall yet, we wanna tell you to jump in, get in. Grab a connect card, fill it out, say, I want to be on the wall. Help me find a place to be on the wall. Come talk to me, join Ridge Kids team, join student ministry, jump in there, be a small group leader in that area, find a place. It will bless you, but you as a result will be a blessing to the world by what God is doing in you. Let me pray for us. God, I am grateful for your word. I'm grateful that it challenges I'm grateful for the truth that you continually share your good news through people who got in their spot and they started building up and they started sharing what you have done in their life. They started testifying, testifying of how you moved in their life and how you moved in the people that are around them and how you transformed them with the gospel. God, we want to be 
your church, not just a church. We don't just wanna be a church. We just wanna be about what you're building up. We wanna come alongside what you are doing. We wanna be a part, be a representative of what you are doing. And so God, I pray that for us, I pray that for each person, if we have not experienced your gospel, God, I pray that a person would ask what that means. What does it look like to come and accept the gospel? Thank you for loving us. Thank you for going all the way to the cross. Thank you that we have an ultimate salvation one day that we hope and look forward to. We love you, God. Amen. Hey, that'll close out our service today. Hope you have an incredible day today. We'll see you guys next week. Grab a connect card, jump on the wall, be a part of what we're doing around here.